Remain standing just for a moment as we read the scripture this morning, John 19, 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Those of you who are here and standing in the back, thank you. And those who are sitting in the foyer, almost to the cafe. And then all my friends in the multi-purpose room, thank you so much. It means a lot that you would stay. We're grateful that you're here to celebrate Resurrection Sunday with us. That we could just pause and just come together and just say he is risen, he is risen indeed. I'd like to read another familiar passage for Easter and it's found in Luke chapter 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Happy Resurrection Day. This is the day we celebrate the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that he died on Friday but rose again on Sunday. Uh, we have a tradition here at Calvary. It's one we share with many uh, Western Orthodox and Eastern Orthodox churches, Catholicism all over the person, the leader on the platform will say he is risen and then those in the congregation will respond, he is risen indeed. It's based on Luke chapter 24 and verse 34. The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. You know, in the past, because I, I love history and I think we should be tied to the history of 2,000 years of Christianity, that we should join with the saints who have gone before us in one mighty voice and declare with millions around the world today, he is risen he is risen indeed, but as I was studying this week, my heart was burdened, not for the past, but for the future. We are living, as the Bible would say, in perilous times. There are struggles all around us. And so there, have to be, there has to be a group of people who will, no matter what else happens, will declare boldly to the future this one truth, he is risen, he is risen indeed. That when darkness surrounds us and when hope is almost gone, let there be a group of people like you and me and around the world who will stand up and say, you may not have hope in anyone else, you may not believe in anything else, you may not trust in anyone else, but there is a God who's real, who loved you so much, he gave his son Jesus to die for you, and oh, by the way, he's risen, he is risen indeed. So uh, some of you are gonna go back to your days in Catholicism, I'm gonna ask you to stand one more time. <laughs> this is how we keep you awake. And we're going to boldly say, I'm going to say he is risen. You're going to say he is risen indeed. Are you ready? He is risen. He is risen indeed. <laughs> yes, it was pretty good. Yes. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. You may be seated.
Today brings conclusion, the conclusion to what we call Holy Week with all of the things we do as a group of people today, but consider Holy Week for Jesus. Consider all the things that he did. Back last Sunday, he came into Jerusalem and people cheered him and they said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then on Monday, he's cleansing, cleaning the temple of the money changers. He's getting rid of everything that shouldn't be there. And then on Tuesday, he teaches, he debates with the religious crowd. He makes them a little angry. And then on what's called Quiet Wednesday, the leadership and the religious leaders and Judas conspire to take his life for 30 pieces of silver. And then on Thursday, Jesus has one last meal with his disciples. We call it the Last Supper. It's when he tells some tremendous things, he teaches and all these different things. But from there he goes to Gethsemane. Many of us in this room have been to Gethsemane. And it's a moving place of olive trees and you just can sense Jesus kneeling down to pray there. Praying these words, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. But the most important words are these, nevertheless not my will but your will be done. And Jesus begins his last journey, his last steps to the cross. Now some of you are going to wonder why I'm starting with the cross. And I'm going to tell you straight up and up front, here it is. You can't experience the joy of Sunday until you understand the suffering of Friday. You can't understand the joy of, of Jesus being risen until you realize the price that he paid on Friday. He goes to Gethsemane and then he is betrayed by a, a close friend. And there's nothing worse than being betrayed by a close friend. The Bible says he's arrested and has one trial, two trials, as many as three. And on Friday morning, he stands before Pilate, the ruler of that area. The same people who cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, are now crying out these words, crucify him, crucify him. The Bible tells us that he is scourged. If you've ever seen the Passion of the Christ, you know how, how awful it was to be scourged. But Pilate has Jesus scourged and the Roman soldiers, they beat him. They mock him. They put a purple robe upon his shoulders, a crown upon his face, upon his head. Sorry, you'd think 34 years this wouldn't get to me like it does today. They spit on him and they say, hail, king of the Jews. Little did they know that he wasn't just the king of the Jews. But that 2,000 years later, he is our king today. Crown of thorns is placed on his head. He carries his cross as far as he can through the narrow streets of Jerusalem. And then someone else must finish the journey. He is handed over to a, a soldier called the Exactor Mortis. He's the leader of a group of four soldiers. And their sole purpose is to make crucifixion the most humiliating, the most painful that they possibly can. A sadistic, horrific act of taking someone's life. And I don't have the time, and there are far too many children here to tell you all of the different ways that pain is inflicted upon that person being crucified. But Cicero, a Roman orator, said these words. He said, crucifixion is the worst extreme of tortures inflicted upon slaves. Tacitus said this about crucifixion. It was the most despicable death. And Jesus, who John calls the Lamb, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, will be crucified and died. He will die. You know, my oldest grandson, uh, the oldest of the super genius grandchildren that I have, all eight of them, <laughs> texted me talking about that first Passover as he was reading Exodus. He realized that there was symbolism and foreshadowing of the Lamb of God, Jesus, who would die. In the original Passover, as they are preparing to be free from 
Egypt, Israel is told to find the lamb. Find the lamb. Let it be without blemish and defect. Let it be the perfect little lamb that you will kill. And you will take its blood and you will put it on the doorpost and on the lintel, the top plate of the, of the door. And God said, if you have the blood of the lamb, if you have the blood of the lamb, I'll pass over you and I'll, I'll pass and I'll, you'll be free from, from the suffering. They were to sacrifice the lamb in a very specific way. And John, pointing to Jesus, said these words, said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Peter said this, we are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect today. Jesus' death on the cross is senseless brutality, but it's something more than that. Jesus' death on the cross is humiliating, but it's something more than the humiliation. It's more than simply appeasing the religious crowd. It's the Paschal lamb, the Passover lamb, Jesus being sacrificed on our behalf. It ties the Old Testament and the New Testament together. Over 55 prophecies of the Old Testament about Jesus. It all brings it together in the New Testament in the death of Jesus Christ today. No, you can't feel the joy of Sunday until you understand what Jesus did on Friday. At the end of, of this journey of, of pain and sorrow and suffering. After all the pain, the sorrow, the betrayal, everything. Jesus hangs upon the cross between heaven and earth. And he says this word. Tetelestai, which means that's Greek. In English, it means it is finished. And, and it gives up his spirit. He dies. Similarities between that Passover need to be once more said. He said it is finished. The Passover lamb is without blemish. Jesus is without defect, without sin. He was the sinless man. The high priest, when he was done of sacrificing lamb, would walk out among the people and he would lift his arms like this and say, it is finished. And today you just need to know that Jesus Christ, the Son of the God, he walks out from being the Paschal Lamb and he has his arms extended and he says, it's finished. It's finished. You've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb today. The Bible says that at that moment when he said, Telelestai, Telelestai, it is finished. Jesus had completed the mission. He completed his purpose. The Bible says in Hebrews 9 and 26, said he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus said this, or excuse me, John said this. Uh, excuse me, Jesus said in Luke 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. Romans 5, 8 said, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. My point is this today, church, all the suffering, all the, all the stuff that Jesus went through was to accomplish one thing. It was to bring us back to God. It was to redeem us. Now, this isn't going to be popular, what I'm about to say, and I understand it. But how many know that if you're going to come and you're going to sit here with a thousand other people, the guy on the platform ought to shoot straight? Thank you for those three affirmations. <laughs> well, here it is. The Bible says that we're all guilty of sin. I'm guilty of sin, you're guilty of sin. We've all failed. There's not a value, there's not an ethic, there's not a commandment of God that we haven't broken. Let's just be honest about it. Corporately as a people, just like Israel and individually, the Bible says that the penalty for breaking God's law is eternal separation from God. Here's the point today, that the Lamb, the Son of God, when he looked at all the judgment that was upon us, he says, I'll take their place. When Jesus is hanging there, you've got to get this in your head. It's not, his, 
It wasn't his sin, it was mine. I should have been on the cross. You should have been on the cross. But for God so loving the world, he gives his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish on the cross, but should live eternally in his presence. Consider the words of Moulton and Milligan, wrote the Greek, uh, a Greek lexicon. The word to tell us die was written on business documents on, or receipts in the New Testament time to indicate a, that a bill had been paid in full. The connection between receipts and what Christ accomplished would not have or would have been clear to John's Greek-speaking readership. It would be unmistakable that Jesus had paid, had died to pay for their sins. Here's the thing. To tell us die was a was what you stamped on a receipt or a bill when it was paid in full. Everyone tracking? So when Jesus declares it is finished, what he's saying is the debt's been paid. The debt's been canceled. It's been taken care of. Nobody else has to pay it. Because of me, the sin of me, Ray Armstrong, the sin of you, has been debt canceled. That before God, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we no longer stand in judgment because of Christ. We stand redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We stand redeemed. And, and you can't buy your way in. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. We don't. Any of these things. Even if you're willing to teach the third grade boy Sunday school class, there's nothing that you can add to the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's called the unmerited favor of God. It's called grace, and it's ours today. He's risen. Didn't expect that, but he is. <laughs> He's risen indeed. And he did it for you and he did it for me. He did it because of this amazing, amazing love. With Jesus' last breath, he declared the debt paid, canceled, completely satisfied. Arthur Pink, an old-time preacher, said these words, to tell us die is not a cry of defeat from a dying man, but a cry of triumph of the living, life-giving redeemer, a divine proclamation that the work of redemption has been fully, finally, forever accomplished. And good deeds and donations and even teaching or singing in the choir, whatever, doesn't add anything to the finished work of Christ. Nope. You can't embrace the joy of Sunday until you understand what happened on Friday. Consider for just a moment. Let's go back to the Friday for just a second. And those disciples, those closest to Jesus who had been with them five years, they're looking up at the cross and they're expecting some really great stuff. Jesus is probably going to come down off the cross. Maybe he'll do that 12 legions of angel thing and take over and establish his earthly kingdom. Maybe everything will be settled and done. And they're watching and they're hoping and they're believing in Jesus. And he dies. He dies. He gives up his breath and he dies. You want to talk about some discouraged young men. It was them. You want to talk about some guys who could no longer believe it was them. The Bible says they fled, except for John. They fled and they hid. They watched Jesus die on the cross. And all their hopes and all their dreams, all their expectations die with him. And they fled. And trust, that thing that is so valuable in our world today, trust, it dies. Hope dies with Jesus. In fairness to the followers of Jesus, they had just watched him die. What else were they going to do? How could they possibly trust someone that is being crucified on, on a cross? Trust. I want you to hear me because now I'm going to bring 2,000 years later to you and I and, and we struggle with the same thing. We struggle with trust today. I see it as a pastor in, in marriages and relationship, but it goes far deeper than that. 
We struggle with all forms of trust. We have a trust problem. Jonathan Hyde, a social psychologist, said that we've been chipping away at the foundations of trust for about 10 years. For a variety of, of reasons, we find it harder and harder to trust. We find it harder and harder to trust government. We find it harder and harder to trust elected officials. We find it hard to trust medicine. We find it hard to trust uh, elected health officials. We find it hard to trust people in education, especially higher education. We find it hard to trust the justice system or the, the media or the church even. To, we don't even trust the election process anymore. We don't trust those liberals or we don't trust those conservatives. We don't trust our next door neighbor because he might be a closet liberal. <laughs> we don't trust those guys with the flags on their, on their yard because they might be a, a bunch of conservative blue, red state people. We can't have them in the neighborhood. We don't even trust our friends anymore because they might not really think like us. Even though they like our Facebook posts, they might not really like and believe what we believe. Some of you in this room, and I know who you are because I've talked with you, you can't even trust your brothers and sisters because they don't agree with you. We have a trust problem here today. It, we find it hard to trust even those who agree with us. What you're seeing in certain political settings is even those people who believe like we are being attacked by other people who believe like them because they don't believe exactly like them. We have a trust problem today and it's chipping away. And sooner or later, I'm going to be honest with you, in my opinion, I agree with the social psychologists, there is a tipping point. Because when you lose trust in everybody, when your circle of trust gets so small that only you're standing in it, that is a recipe for disaster. That's, that's Matthew 24 about to take place. It's not the pandemic. It's not the war in the Ukraine. And God helped both those situations and let there be peace in the Ukraine today. But the real issue that's going to bring calamity and chaos will be when we stop trusting one another and there's nothing else to believe in. That's where we find ourselves today as a nation, as a people, as a world. By the way, do you know what the first victim of no trust is? Hope. If you can't trust anybody, what can you hope in? If you don't believe in anything, what can you hope in today? Where there is no trust, people have no hope. They have nothing to believe in. There's no anchor for their soul. There's no chance of a better future today. So what does a future hold without trust and hope? Well, after Jesus dies on the cross and his disciples flee to a room and lock themselves in, they are what is commonly called to, I just learned this, I feel pretty cool, a hot mess. <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel pretty cool. It's already gone. Been home two weeks, it's gone. They're struggling without trust. They're struggling without hope. Trust died when Jesus died. Dreams, aspirations, ambitions are gone. They're afraid for their very lives. Hope died on the cross. Things look bleak for them. Then something happens. Something happens. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, uh, Mary, the mother of James, and some other ladies, they go to the tomb with spices to prepare the body. It's after the Sabbath, and they're going to prepare the body for burial. And they get there, and they, they look, and the stone's been rolled away. No, I'm not about to sing it, but the stone's been rolled away. And they look inside, and there's no body. 
And then two men clothed in white clothes, with like white, like lightning, look at them and say in, in 24, Luke 24, 5 through 8, why, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you? While he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. The stone was rolled away. He was gone. He was risen. And, and the ladies were overwhelmed because the Bible says they remembered his words. And they are so excited. They run back to where the disciples are, are hiding with the doors locked, the windows barred, and they knock on the door and they say, we got something really cool to tell you. When they came back from the tomb, they told these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and others with them who told them to the apostles. But they, now listen to this line, right there at the bottom. But they did not believe the women because their words to them seemed like nonsense. I mean, honestly, how, 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 how much trust do you have to lose? How much hope do you ha that has to be gone from your life because you can't even believe the message that Christ has written? They couldn't wrap their heads around it. Doesn't matter that Jesus had told them it would happen this way. They were raised in Judaism that didn't believe in an individual personal resurrection. Verse 36. So in the middle of their, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. There's nothing you can say. I don't believe it. While they were still talking about this in verse 36, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Now, friends, that was a, a common greeting. Peace be with you. It was familiar. It was there. Everyone said it. But how many know when Jesus says it, it takes on new meaning? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you who've lost trust and who's lost hope. Peace be with you because here I am and I'm not a ghost. I'm not a ghost, I'm real. Read the next portion of scripture. Well, uh, it said this. He said, then why are you troubled and why do, you doubt, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bone as you see. Now listen to this. Listen to the transition here. And this is where we're at on Sunday. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate in their presence. In other words, hey guys, I'm real. I need a McFish. I'm hungry. I'm not a ghost. I'm real. And while all this is happening, listen to what it said. While they did not believe, it wasn't because of unbelief now. It was because of amazement and joy. It wasn't, I, I don't believe. It was, can you not, can you believe this? There was a joy because the risen Lord was standing in their midst. He was real. Pastor Ray, do you want us to believe in the reality of the risen death of Jesus, the, reason, the risen life? He's alive? Absolutely unequivocally. Yeah, but isn't it a metaphor? No, it's real. It's literal. He was dead and now he's alive. He's risen. <laughs> Easy, big fella. He's risen. Sorry. They were amazed and filled with joy. I mean, honestly, I, wouldn't you have loved to have been in that room when they realized he was real? I mean, I guarantee you, it's kind of like when one of my daughters came over and she brought something that we didn't expect. And it was a really cool, big, beautiful, she comes in, shuts the door, and she shows me and she tells me about it. And she and I just, we start doing a happy dance. I'm not a real good dancer, but, you know. Mary's up at the top of the stairs wondering what's going on. Well, it's because we, 
we were so happy we did a happy dance. Now, I don't want to see that going on out in the foyer, but how many know if there's anything that you deserve to, to have a happy dance over, it's that Jesus Christ died and Jesus Christ rose again. That ought to push every one of you, your buttons because it tells you some things. It reminds us that he's alive, he's risen, he can be trusted, there's hope in Jesus. Even in the midst of, of a non-trusting world, there can be someone that you can trust in today because he said he would die. He said he would die. And on the third day, he would rise again. And that's exactly what he did today. That's worthy of a happy dance. Verse 46 through 48, he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of these things. Aren't you glad, Je you know, if I'd have been Jesus, let me put it this way. If I'd have been Jesus and, and I had just died and rose again, you know where I'd have gone first? I'd have gone to Pilate. I'd have said, well, this didn't work out the way that you thought it would, did it? I'd have gone to the religious crowd. I had to do a little happy dance for him and I say, this didn't work out the way you wanted. I'm back. That's what I said. But Jesus, with far more dignity, tells his disciples, you're going to go and you're going to be my witnesses in Judea, in Jerusalem first, in Judea, Samaria, and the other parts of the earth. You're going to be my witnesses. 2,000 years later, those of us in this room and in the foyer, thank you for sitting there. And you in the multi-purpose room, thank you so much. We're not here to look back 2,000 years. We're here to look to tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And around people who have lost hope and have lost focus and have lost purpose, we as his witnesses will say to someone who has no hope, wait a minute, there's hope in Jesus. He died and he rose again and you can have hope. Honestly, as we close this morning and then we're gonna baptize some people. There's hope to be found in Jesus. You say, well, Ray, let me put it to you this way. I'm blessed to have, I think, all my grandchildren in this room today. I'm blessed. All eight of them, all, all eight super geniuses are here. From one and a half year old up to 13. When I think of the world, I think of the legacy we're leaving for them. And I'm not talking about climate change and the political stuff. You know, I don't mean that. I mean the climate of no trust, the climate of no hope. What will we leave them? What would be the last, what will be the legacy that I and their parents and all of us will leave our, our children, children's children, their children, and their grandchildren and great-grandchildren? What will it be? If they never hear me preach another message, if they never hear grandpa get on the stage and preach another sermon, then let the final words they hear from me be this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose again for you. 
Jesus cares for you. Maybe we tell them, remember this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Every so often, give a cup of cold water in his name. Love your enemy. Learn how to forgive. And remember this above all else. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And in those moments, after the, before the 9 o'clock service, I went into the restroom and I was washing my hands. And there was a, a gentleman in there. I, don't, I, I didn't know his name until he told me. He was just standing at the sink. And he was weeping. Just standing at the sink, weeping. Well, I'll be honest, there's about a thousand different things I should probably be doing up at that time, but when I saw his tears, I was compelled to stop. And I look at him, I say, how you doing? He said, not so good. And he, he said this to me, and I've never met the guy, he says, could I have a hug? Well, sure. So I hugged him and I asked him his name and he told me and I said, listen, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're dealing with, but Jesus loves you. And there is hope and there is trust in Jesus today. That whatever it is you're struggling with, there's a God who can see you through. Let that be the legacy for our children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. There's a God and he's real. We know this because on that Sunday, he was dead and then he rose again. Yes, he's risen. He's risen indeed. As we close, everybody in this room, the multipurpose in the foyer, makes a decision about Jesus. You can walk out if you're thinking, this is just a great service. I mean, this worship team, I mean, oh my. You can appreciate maybe the message. But at the end of the day, that's not why we're here. We're here because everyone has to make a decision about Jesus. C.S. Lewis said you have three choices when it comes to Jesus. I mean, you can't just say Jesus was a good man because he, he didn't claim to be a good man. He claimed to be the son of God. So he's one of three things, C.S. Lewis said. He's either a liar, he's lying, or he's a lunatic. He's crazy. Because only a crazy, a crazy person would, be, would say they're the son of God. Either he's lying or he's, he's crazy. Or... Or, he's who he said he was. He is Jesus, the son of the living God. And he died for you. So that you could have trust in something when nothing else mattered. So that you could have hope that was not of this world, but was in Christ alone. So the question as we close our, bow our heads for just a moment before we, we baptize. What will you do this, with this one named Jesus? What will you do with the Easter story? What will you do with this one who would give it all up for you? And then rise from the tomb and say, I'm risen, I'm risen indeed. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? Chris, I'm going to ask you to go to the multi-purpose room for me. I'm going to assume there's another pastor outside in the foyer. 
If you're here today with every head bowed and eye closed and you need a savior, it's, it's certainly not me or anyone on this planet. His name is Jesus. And he loves you immensely. He died for you so that you could live. He took your place. Tetelestai, it is paid, it is finished. The debt's been canceled. If you're here and you need a savior, with no one looking around, just you and me right here, right now. And you know it. Maybe you didn't understand everything I talked about, but you just, you're drawn to something more than your wife making you come to Easter service. You just sense that this is your moment. If you're here and you need a Savior, lift your hand and say, Ray, that's me. That's me today. I see your hand, sir, in back, and you can put it down. And sir, I see your hand in back, and you can put it down. Anyone else before we pray? I see your hand and your hand and your hand. Anyone else before we close this service? Young lady, I see your hand in back. You can put it down. Anyone else before we close in prayer? I'm not asking you to join a church. I see your hand in back and you can put it down. I'm not asking you to join a church. That comes later. Yeah, I'm asking you to come to Jesus and find more grace than you and I both deserve. The unmerited favor of God. Anyone else before we pray? I see your hand here in the middle. You can put it down. Don't let this moment pass you by. Because you're not going to get a better offer out there. I mean, all the foolish people you can believe in, and I'm talking about Jesus today. Anyone else before we pray? I see your hand off to my right. Anyone else before we close this portion in prayer? I see your hand. Father, thank you for loving us so much that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We, we stand with these who have lifted their hands. We, we stand with them and we say, Lord, we know where they've been because that's where we were. Forgive us of sin. Forgive us of going our own way. Of thinking we knew better. Forgive our arrogance and our pride. Our selfishness. Pray that you would touch our hearts with the power and the reality of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And across our accounts, may Jesus by his death and resurrection stamp debt canceled, debt paid. But Lord, let that not be the end of the story. Let that be the beginning and then teach us what it means to follow you to draw close to you on a daily basis. Teach us your ways, O oh Lord, we pray. May we be your sons and daughters in Jesus' name. Amen. As we baptize, I think, three or four people, would you stand with us and sing this song together?